Welcome to the Positive Education Podcast. I am your host, Rhiannon McGee. I am the Head of Positive Education at Geelong Grammar School, leading the school's wellbeing program across four campuses. I am passionate about the promotion of community wellbeing and furthering the field of positive education. And because of this, I'm just so excited to be sharing this podcast with those of you who share my passion. The Positive Education Podcast aims to engage with experts in the field of wellbeing and positive education in order to provide you with insights and strategies to advance positive education in your school environments and beyond. Today on the show, we have Justin Robinson. Justin is the inaugural director of the Institute of Positive Education based at Geelong Grammar School. He leads a team dedicated to promoting the theory and practice of positive education through research and providing training for other educators. As a passionate leader in the field of student and staff wellbeing, Justin has been invited to write for a number of publications and speak at conferences both in Australia and around the world. His appointment at the Institute follows a successful career as a mathematics and physical education teacher and school leader at both Geelong Grammar School and Trinity Grammar School. An enthusiastic sportsman, Justin has coached many school sporting teams and is a keen marathon runner. Justin is an honorary fellow of Melbourne Graduate School of Education and lives with his wife, Jeanette, and their four children on the Corio campus of Geelong Grammar School. Welcome, Justin. Thanks, Rhiannon. Really excited to be part of today's podcast. So, Justin, to begin with, I really would love you to share for our listeners a little bit about your work with Geelong Grammar School and the Institute. Thanks, Rhiannon. It, it seems a long journey that we've been on and an exciting journey and ups and downs in the journey. Uh, I think I can think of times when I've been overwhelmed, uh, times that I've been so excited, times where I've seen the impact of the work we're endeavouring to do in our own school and in other schools. And gosh, it's... Um, to think that now it's more than 10 years that Geelong Grammar School's been implementing positive education and now more than five years that the Institute's been in op- operation. I kind of think back to, it's actually the very first time Martin Sullivan visited our school, uh, just happened to be on my birthday, uh, which wow. was February the 12th, uh, and it must have been 2006, so still a couple of years before he then came and lived with us for that period of six mm. months. And it was a Sunday and there was just an invitation to come and listen to this visiting fellow and hear a little bit about positive psychology. And from that first uh, lecture, from that first kind of conversation, so much of what positive psychology was endeavouring to do to measure well-being, to measure optimal human performance and uh, flourishing, kind of just resonated so strongly with me. Uh, I think it partly resonated because of my upbringing, uh, the way my parents have uh, raised me and spoken to me and considered things, uh, partly my uh, Christian background, uh, and growing up through a church and being on church camps and youth groups and this kind of concept of gratitude resonated so deeply with me and suddenly now here's there's a science also supporting that, gosh, it makes good sense to express uh, your gratitude for others. So kind of then when... Our eight-day course in positive education occurred in, or positive psychology occurred in 2008. Um, I was one of the hundred staff members who kind of put their hand up and gave up time uh, in our January holidays to be a part of this conference. And it was a really meaningful time and the staff bonded together, the staff found the content 
on resilience, on character strengths, on mindsets, extremely meaningful and powerful. Uh, and that was then the start of the journey. And, and kind of interestingly, what the school then said to us at the kind of 2008 was, you know, let's actually pause and not do anything. You know, we've all been trained, not all, but a hundred of us have been trained. And to some extent, there was a danger we would all go and show a powerful little YouTube clip or we would all go and ask a student to write a gratitude letter as an example. And so the school said, let's just go slowly. And, and that still stays with me today, the importance of a school going slowly with this journey. And so we spent basically a whole lot of 2008 having meetings, discussing, is it going to be just a language? Is it going to fit within our pastoral care? Is it going to become an explicit lesson? How is it going to shape our policies and practices? And I was a head of house at the time and the decision was made for semester two that the heads of house would pilot explicitly teaching it to their year 10 students. So that kind of is the start of the journey. And uh, now to kind of fast forward through that, through successes and through mistakes, through ups and downs, through sharing our work, through learning from our visitors and, you know, uh, learning ourselves and reading and discussing and hearing from our students. You know, we've just had fun in so many ways trying to implement POSET at our school and then uh, made the decision of saying to our school council, is there any chance we could set up an institute because we think there's a need and we think there's a responsibility that we could make a contribution uh, to this field? Justin, it sounds to me like you were one of the first POSED champions at Geelong Grammar School and you've become a POSED champion across the world really with your work with the Institute. How has your understanding of POSED changed throughout that journey as POSED evolved in, at Geelong Grammar School and then as you've done work with I believe over 1,000 schools across the world on their own POSED journey? Yeah I think it's um, I feel a growing comfortableness, a growing confidence in our messaging um, and I think that's really important and that becomes more nuanced and when do you explicitly use which language and when do you soften the language and do it a little bit more under the radar, when do you engage the students and how do the students help drive and lead it, how do you harness the hearts and hands and minds of all the members, the stakeholders kind of in your school. So how are the parents involved? How are the staff involved, both the teaching and the operational staff? How are the students involved? What committees are, are they on? What's their voice in this? So I think in some ways, I think, in, you know, correctly, I hope, um, the idea was to particularly focus on the science, the science of wellbeing. And really, 10 years ago, it was the science of positive psychology. Uh, and I still remember various uh, visiting fellows and experts, and in particular, uh, Professor Felicia Huppert, when she was with us, saying to me, now, now, Justin, remember at this stage, this is 10 years ago, like the research is still only showing whether there's been a reduction in ill-being. Because really, 10 years ago, there weren't even the well-being measures, mm. certainly as prevalent as they are today. And that's an exciting growth in itself because we know the phrase that whatever you measure, you treasure. And whilst, there, of course, there are challenges in measuring well-being, I think it's exciting that our field and experts um, 
academics and researchers are considering how best to measure individual and community well-being. So, so the concept went with because there's a science, and this was in many ways the new aspect that positive psychology brought to well-being, the rigour of a scientific method that they had brought to ill-being. And so therefore we strongly spoke, whenever we spoke about it, to staff, to students, to parents, we strongly emphasised the science. And I think in some ways, relatively quickly, we kind of got the feedback from our students. They're not that interested in the science. And, and I kind of mean that in the nicest possible way. It's to some extent they go, well, you know, we trust you. You're our teachers and you teach us mathematics or you teach us science or you teach us French. And if you're teaching us positive education or if you're teaching us about well-being, we'll believe that it's probably a pretty good thing. Now, of course, you still need to ensure the relevance and the practicality of it and that it's relevant to their life at their life stages as much as possible. But it was kind of quite clear that really emphasising the science too much was almost kind of turning the students off. Um, for some weird reason, as adults, uh, and you and uh, you and I, Rhiannon, like we, we we like some of that <laughs> science, science and research, and like kind of reading a journal article and being curious about things. Isn't that interesting? And that that resonates with what I already knew. And oh, that's an interesting insight that I hadn't quite thought that. Oh gosh, that framework's helpful. Or, or that piece of information is very useful for us to develop an activity or to develop a lesson or to develop a conversation. Um, but I think what we're endeavouring to do now as we're moving on is, and it's probably easier for us now because our community has a language of wellbeing. So now it can just be as much about activities and applications and experiential as much as possible. So I know, Justin, that you've been spending some time um, along with your colleagues at the Institute and at Geelong Grammar over the last few months really trying to um, draw on the voices in the field of positive education to establish what POSED is. How do we define POSED and what POSED isn't? what we should really be careful about when we are contributing to this field of positive education or bringing yeah. POSED into our schools um, and school communities. Yeah. So can you share a little bit about what you've discovered through this process? Yeah, th thanks, Rhiannon. It, it stems from uh, our institute team and, and in particular Shannon, who's one of our marketing managers, and kind of saying the importance of having a barbecue card or an elevator pitch, or a short little spiel. Um, because you must be able to, whilst it's a complex and comprehensive approach, positive education, it still needs to be able to be explained in under a minute. And I've always found that so hard. And you would think, having kind of been heavily involved in this field for 10 years, I would have one off the bat. And I don't. And... Um, you can probably already tell by some of the lengths of my answers, <laughs> that if you ask me what is POSED, I kind of will talk to you for an hour if you'd let me. Um, because it's that nuanced. And if you just go, oh, it's about increasing well-being, well, that doesn't tell you enough about it and doesn't give you the richness of it. Um, I was asked recently about how is positive education innovative you know, what makes it an innovation? You know, really, isn't it just kind of 
what we've always known and maybe kind of slightly packaged differently. And actually, it's not that new. And I can see both sides of it. Um, I, I kind of in thinking about trying to answer that question, because I think there is aspects of the whole field that are certainly innovative and can be a really helpful shift for education across Australia, but indeed across the world. And it came up with this kind of the four concepts about the four aspects of the um, philosophy of positive education. Uh, The first was that it is a proactive approach. So what positive education is endeavouring to do is to provide our young people with skills and knowledge, kind of in a way before they need it. Um, And that's not necessarily easy being proactive, but it's certainly a noble hope and intention to talk to students, to provide them with skills and knowledge for when the difficulties will come. So it's a proactive approach. The concept that it's also a whole school approach. Of course, every school is interested in wellbeing and has various initiatives and focuses that they do in terms of wellbeing for their staff and students. And I think probably always have, but certainly in recent years, schools around the world are interested in and want to nurture wellbeing. But positive education isn't just something happening in year seven for a little program for a couple of lessons. It is endeavouring to be that whole school approach that we believe the key processes of learn, live, teach and embed are critical to the successful implementation of. So it actually does go broader than just a program broader than just an activity or just a focus here. It is parents, it is students, it is staff, it is ongoing. So the second kind of concept was that it's a whole school approach. And Justin, just to interrupt there, can I ask you to share a little bit about the Learn, Live, Teach Embed processes, just in case there are some listening who don't know much about them? So the concept being it's so important to be authentic in this work. And so therefore the first process becomes how can the adults, predominantly the staff, but certainly also the parents, how can they learn about this relatively new science and growing and evolving science of wellbeing, of neuroplasticity, of cognitive sciences, of positive psychology? How can we help our adults reflect about that yes they will know these words they've heard the word resilience they've heard character strengths they've heard the word gratitude they've heard the word mindset so it's not like it's any revelation wow i'd never heard of the word gratitude before but somehow it's a deeper uh, open curious vulnerable exploration of each of those topics that maybe they've just uh haven't had the opportunity or haven't prioritised or society hasn't helped us to reflect upon. And so let's reflect upon that in a group way, in a team way, uh, and provide this language of wellbeing to the adults, the staff, teaching and operational staff and parents. So that's the first stage. Help us all learn about it and continue to learn about it. Then the second stage is let's endeavour to make sure as best as possible let's live these principles. Now we'll always make mistakes and we're human and, and in many ways I think that maybe at Geelong Grammar School we say sorry more maybe than 10 years ago. 
Because it's powerful to say sorry when you apologise to a colleague because you felt you didn't actually respond in the way that you would have liked to. Or you apologise to a class because you had reacted rather than responded and those sorts of things. And, and of course, you know, our goal isn't to be perfect. Our goal is to be well-intentioned to care for others. Um, so the hope is to live this way. You know, because we believe in the phrase, and many listeners may well have heard it, that as much that well-being is caught, possibly as much as it is taught, maybe even more than it's taught. And so to some extent, the well-being of our young people is picked up from the role modelling of our staff, the role modelling that occurs in an assembly, the role modelling that occurs when a mistake has been made by a student and the way that they are treated and the way that the conversation goes, um, the way we communicate with our parents and so on. So the importance of role modelling. And of course, students, rightly so, are very quick to pick up on any hypocrisy. And so you've almost got no chance of successfully teaching positive education if the students don't perceive that you're living it. And so therefore, the second key process is live positive education as best as possible. Think about what's important for your well-being. Maybe for an individual it's keeping a blessings journal. Maybe for an individual it's having an app on your phone and doing some mindfulness. Maybe if it's an individual it's going for a walk with a dog. But keep thinking about your own well-being because your well-being is important and particularly important to help the well-being of others that you come from a, a space of wellness. The third process then becomes teach teaching positive education and while some schools choose not to uh, explicitly teach it and of course you can implicitly teach it and weave it in where the concepts and are appropriate into the academic subjects some teach it through pastoral care some have a dedicated lesson like we do at Geelong Grammar School but I think what teaching it enables is it shows the entire community how important well-being is to the community it's important enough that it warrants some curriculum time. Now, each school will need to work out how much and when and how that looks like. But actually, the moment it's in the curriculum, it will be reviewed every year. It will have a parent-teacher interview. It will have a report. It will have curriculum documentation. It will have ongoing development as it needs to have. So this idea of teaching it provides a message to the community but then provides time to actually explore some quite complex concepts that maybe you can't pick up just from role modelling to understand your thinking traps, what your core beliefs are, to explore harnessing your character strengths in times of difficulty. Some of these skills and knowledge I think warrant exploration and experiential exploration kind of in a classroom style and then the fourth one becomes you know and how do we then embed it which in a nutshell is saying how do we bring a positive education lens a well-being lens to every aspect of our school to every school policy or practice or procedure is this in alignment with our belief that the well-being of our community is vitally important so this means we need to consider how we employ our staff, how we review and appraise our staff, how we run information evenings for our parents, 
how we run assemblies, what we write in newsletters, what happens in co-curricular activities, what are the offerings, the way that we line up for, for our students in the dining hall, the way food is served, the way we treat one another. So how do we embed it? And um, not a thing that Geelong Grammar School did, but I loved hearing about a school um, that just chose a really kind of thought creative and you know simple way of considering and thinking carefully about embedding well-being and positive education and they just invited their community whenever there is an agenda for whatever the meeting is whether it's a uniform committee whether it's a camp uh, committee whether it's the mathematics department whenever you have an agenda anywhere within this school can you just pop one agenda item in there called well-being and just then see what the conversations bring up uh, and it might be a one-minute conversation or it might shape or change or consider something. Uh, so, so I think that was a, an exciting way. It's certainly an ongoing way is embedding it. Uh, so it's an alignment. Um, so that's the learn, live, teach, mm. embed kind of process. Thanks so much for exploring that, uh, Justin, because I think it's such an enormous contribution that the school and the institute has made to the field and provides a wonderful framework for schools to work within as they consider a whole school approach to positive yeah. education. Yeah. But I did interrupt you because you were, I think, on to the third principle <laughs> of what posit is. So yeah. I, I think we had, um, we had said the proactive piece yeah. and we had said the whole school yeah. piece. Um, a, a third one is that it's a strength-based approach. Mm. And, of course, there are other initiatives that are strength-based approaches, so that's certainly not why POSED is unique or innovative in and of itself. But this idea of being a strength-based, and many of us listening uh, will know about the work of the field of character strengths, this idea of having a language about what is right with us, what is right with our community, to be able to talk about these words... Um, to notice and to discuss from kindness to bravery to curiosity to teamwork to zest and, and further. So this idea and appreciative inquiry does it as well, appreciative advising, the idea of asking questions of people from a starting point of what's working is powerful and engaging. And that kind of is a key piece of positive education. And then finally, the fourth piece was that it is an evidence-based approach. And whilst the evidence in this field is still young and still maturing and needs to continue to evolve and needs to consider different cultures and different age groups and so on, um, so I don't think anyone in the field thinks the science is a completed picture. Um, and of course, some of the science started with samples not as relevant to schools or school-age uh, children. Um, but it had to start somewhere and we have to learn from mistakes and we have to expand and continue to evolve. And I think the more evidence that we can get around the impact or the effectiveness or the sustainability of any of these initiatives is something that the field will look to do over the next number of years, you know, over the next number of decades as well, hopefully. Um, but it is this idea that hopefully individual, school, individual schools and, of course, then the academics leading this work will continue to look for evidence to see about is it actually working? You know, is it actually helping individuals? 
are there any unintended consequences that we weren't actually hoping to create from there? Are we actually assisting in reducing anxiety and depression and mental illness? Are we actually, in fact, increasing the well-being of these young people and giving them the resilience and the ability to uh, successfully cope and manage with life's challenges? So for me, and, and I'm sure there probably is a fifth one, but for me at the moment, those four approaches, when put together kind of in harmony, the proactive approach, the whole school approach, the strengths-based approach, and then also the evidence-based approach, that I think is what makes positive education quite special and quite unique. Yeah, thank you so much, Justin. And I think really those four principles really encapsulate a growing understanding of positive education and 10 years of uh, practice wisdom, I suppose, that yeah. you represent. So I hope that's really helpful for, for our listeners, and I'm sure it will be. I think just as helpful is to identify what POSED isn't. Yeah. Um, and I know that's been the second, the second piece yeah. uh, for you. So can you share a little bit of your insights there? So I think it's... Um Whilst it's not a very POSET approach to say what POSET is not, um, having just mentioned about strengths-based approach and all these sorts of things, but I think it, it feels a helpful way to, or maybe even the quickest way maybe to dispel some of the myths or the misunderstandings that we believe exist still in the field of positive education. And, you know, honestly, I, I think the name is potentially as problematic as it is helpful. Um, I think we're stuck with the name and I think there are many benefits of the name. But it can be misconstrued, it can be misunderstood. Um, and so at the moment we've got four key positive education is not statements that are kind of like the little barbecue card or the little elevator pitch. Uh, just to quickly explain to anyone who was kind of going, oh, but I thought it was that. And so maybe if we'll take one at a time and we'll do these four and see your thoughts on them and yeah. we've shared these at a conference and we've shared these also with a survey monkey and in invited others in the field to comment and go yeah I think that's so important get that message out and hopefully through PISA and IPEN and uh, organisations can help spread the word to gain greater clarity around what POSED is and what it is not. So here, here are the four. Okay, I'm ready. Okay, so I'll go to the first one. Um, first one is that POSET is not about being happy all the time and certainly not about avoiding negative emotions. What do you think about that one? I like that one. I, in, in my experience with students, the, when I, be, I asked them at the beginning of the year, what do you think POSET's all about? So often they say about being happy all the time, about being positive all the time, which just makes me cringe. So if we can get that message out there, yes. I'd be very grateful. Yeah. And, and you know where it comes from because it comes from the smiley face and it comes from positive. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I'm glad you know, and, and I know we're nicely aligned in that way. Mm. Now, it's not saying being happy some of the time, of course, is important. And happiness, you know, again, depending how you define the term, is a noble endeavour for individuals and for communities um, but I, like I've genuinely been asked multiple times you know and I, a bit tongue-in-cheek of course you know oh, do you have to smile all the time mm. if you work at Geelong Grammar School because you've got to be positive all the time and it's make sure everything's positive and you say everything is oh, everyone's got to be positive and happy all the time 
Um, and of course, that's just so unrealistic. And I think not only is it unrealistic, I think it's damaging. I think if our young people are growing up thinking you're meant to be happy all the time, and I think they get that message partly through social media, partly when they apparently, if you Google, you know, Facebook um, profiles, you know, ninety nine point nine percent of them, everyone's got a smiley face mm-hmm. on it, you know, because that's what you put as your profile pic. Um, and then, of course, when people post things, they in general post all their highlights. And so it's quite easy to become skewed for a young person and think that everyone else is having a great time all the time. Because whenever I look at my feed, they're all, oh, look at that. Oh, they're doing that. And so there is some of this kind of thought that maybe, um, and maybe perpetuated by the self-help movement and unintentionally maybe by positive psychology and so on, and maybe unintentionally by positive education, that, oh, you're meant to be happy all the time. And if you think that, then, of course, you're destined for failure because a rich, full, meaningful life isn't happy all the time. It has the full range of emotions. That's just part of being alive is that you will experience the full range of emotions, maybe every day. Uh, Maybe that's a bit too much of a roller coaster ride, but if not every day, every week, every month and so on, um, the way we talk to the students about it and, and the teachers that we train and so on is that if you deeply care for anything or anyone it will come with the full range of emotions Mm. it can't not and so you know an example i use is you know with our uh, our own children for Jeanette and i you know we love them dearly and they come with so many not come with that sounds ridiculous you know through parenting and caring and being our family that generates so many positive emotions from pride to joy to gratitude to you know playfulness and humour and so on, uh, and and of course you know where I'm going. It also comes with many negative emotions, you know, of uh, fear, of being anxious, of feeling a sense of guilt, you know, of being ashamed, of being disappointed, of being hurt. All those things are part of parenting. If you've chosen, you know, and been able to be a parent, that's part of what it comes with. If you've chosen to be a teacher, that's part of what it comes with. It will come with so many positive emotions, I hope, for every one of our teachers out there. But it will also come with, because if you care about the kids and if you care about teaching, you'll make mistakes. You'll feel disappointed for them. You'll feel, because of the expectations you've got for them, they'll occasionally let you down. They'll make mistakes. You'll make mistakes. You know, you'll be frustrated because you had all those hopes for that, the positive emotions, the hope for that new activity or new lesson you wanted to do, and it was a disaster. And that should feel ugh, frustrating. Um, so, so the idea that positive emotions are a good thing and you should feel them all the time and negative emotions are a bad thing and you should avoid them at all costs is just a complete misunderstanding, unhelpful belief for anyone and for the field, I strongly feel. Mm. I think, Justin, you and I do talk about the necessity of calling positive psychology positive psychology and positive education positive education at the beginning of the journey because it was this paradigm shift. Um, Do you think that we'll rebrand positive education at any point? I think the way we've been thinking about it um, is the idea of maybe hopefully doing ourselves out of a job, Mm. um, out of a title, out of an institute. Uh, And, you know, I I think there is a need and I think it's been helpful. 
while I still need to be careful about the messaging, I, th- I think it's been helpful and continues to be helpful um, to have positive schools conferences, to have positive psychology, to have positive education, which can become understood as a real intentional, comprehensive approach to nurturing individual and community well-being. At the moment, we have education, we have psychology, and now alongside it's become positive psychology, positive education. And I think in some ways it's a pendulum shift that potentially we're saying, you know, in a disruptive way, but hopefully a helpful disruptive way, that maybe education and psychology are a bit out of balance, are a bit out of whack. Maybe psychology is too deficit-focused. Maybe our community thinks of, if they heard that I went and saw my psychologist last night, they would naturally go and say, oh, what's wrong with you, Justin? And therefore psychology has been reduced to just a field to help people you know, uh, reduce their weakness, to fix what's wrong with them. And I think psychology have got so much more to offer than just that. And so Martin Seligman and so many colleagues and others before him have endeavoured to go, well, what's the pendulum look like on the other side where it really has an intentional focus on nurturing hope, in nurturing optimism, in gratitude, resilience? What's that look like? And I think both sides complement each other. Both sides are needed for a, a flourishing society. So I hope one day maybe it can just go back to psychology. The same then with education. I think in some ways education has lost the plot a bit, has got too focused on academic results, on standardised testing, on achievement. And, of course, not in any way are we saying none of that's important. Of course it's important. Of course it's a key part of what education's about. But... Has it lost some of the focus of the whole child, of the importance of well-being? Can we help schools emphasise, prioritise, place well-being at the heart of education? Now, the hope would be, and I don't know if this is a year away, five years away, ten years away, but maybe in the future, education and psychology can just go back to being called that. And no matter where you are getting educated around the world, no matter where you were seeing a psychologist around the world, they were able to support you from an education perspective with academic achievement and engagement and learning and a love of learning and achievement and um, uh, kind of performance and also give you skills and knowledge and teach you about courage and compassion and curiosity and nurture that and that won't be just by chance you might pick up some bit of it will intentionally be a part of your schooling experience and when you see a psychologist they will help you with some of the difficulties that you're facing but they will also give activities and ideas and ask questions around helping you to be your best to flourish um, and those sorts of things so so i think deep down the term and the phrase is appropriate and correct at the moment. We keep needing to articulate language around it, but it's appropriate. I don't think we need to shift the actual positive education. Mm. But the hope is 
that it actually just becomes an accepted part of education and schools around the world teach well-being in some way, shape or form, learn, live, teach in bed these principles uh, in their school context. So as we continue on that journey, Justin, and I think you're right, uh, it's not time to drop posed, but it certainly <laughs> is important to, to understand what we mean when we refer to positive education. I think you've got three more principles yeah, as to what posed <laughs> isn't. If so you could share those with us. Been yes. listening to my, my numbers. <laughs> got. So, um, so fortunately, with these posed is not statements, I do have the four of them in front of me, so that's uh, an easier <laughs> one for me to go back to. So, so the second of these statements... That we're again sharing with others. Uh, and this partly came from some of our heads of campuses because it sometimes is what a parent will say back to us. Mm. Uh, and it's linked to this kind of concept that POSED is not about ensuring a child is free from failure and adversity. And that's because occasionally a parent will say, and, and maybe they're hurting and, and they're frustrated, uh, um, but you know, I thought you're a POSED school. As in other words, I thought my child was never going to have any failure here or never have any adversity. I thought you were going to kind of smooth all that out because you're a posit school. Um, and so a phrase that I'd only heard relatively recently and now I've been using quite a lot um, and maybe many listeners have heard it for years, but was this kind of concept that our, our goal is not to prepare the road for the child but our goal is to prepare the child for the road. So some parents, I think, misunderstand and some educators uh, misunderstand that the hope is to smooth the way. So that road ahead is straight, it's got no lumps or bumps, and there'll be success after success and things will be, and it'll all be flowers and unicorns, kind of as some people would say. And of course, again, that's just not realistic and not helpful. And so we hear of, you know, snowplow parents and helicopter parents and these sorts of phrases, and you completely get it. Which parent doesn't want their child to meet with success and hope that they have a, a smooth ride? But whilst we get that and we want that, we know we can't do that to our kids. We know they've got to take risks. We know they've got to fail. We know that's how resilience is developed. We know we can't and shouldn't smooth the road for our children uh, entirely. Like, of course, in some ways you try to help and support and protect and care and love. But as much what we're saying is how do we uh, empower the young people so they've got the skills, the tools, the knowledge to manage what will be the road for them? And like none of us know, like I've got no idea what's the next kind of, you know, meetup in my road, in our roads, you know, what's around the corner, you know, and it could be a horrible dip um, and it could be a nice little gentle rise. It could be a curly, it could be a circular one. I'm back to where I was kind of a year ago or something. You, know, you never quite know. And that's, I suppose, the, the magic of life. You know, whilst, of course, we all sometimes wouldn't mind crystal balling and going, can you tell me where I'll be in five years? Because that would be exciting to know that. I imagine it's also good that we don't know. Um, and the part of the, the joy of living our life, of being curious about the people you meet, the things you learn, the way you grow and develop and mature and evolve. Um, so to some extent, you know, I, I'm hoping that the young people experiencing positive education 
will develop these skills to kind of embrace as much as possible. I think celebrate's almost a little bit too far. It's hard to celebrate failure. Um, I'd far prefer that this podcast goes well than it being a horribly uh, horrible failure and, and people think there was nothing to learn from or nothing there and for us to high-five each other and go, your beauty, that podcast was <laughs> hopeless. Um, you know, that, to celebrate that, you know. But I get that, you know, this podcast probably won't be as good as a podcast in 20 times in you know in 20 episodes time if I was to give 20 episodes of a podcast because we'd learn and I will reflect over what I've said and consider it and think oh that was helpful and I'll hear some feedback and so you continue to evolve so you kind of lean into the vulnerability of having a go at things and we hope our young people and our parents understand that every child will meet with failure should meet with failure. That's how you learn. It's how you evolve. It's how you grow. And also will have adversity as part of their growing experience, part of their ongoing life experience. So that's the second mm-hmm. one. So important, I think, for school communities more and more to you know, educate parents and the broader community about the importance of failure because we're scared of it, yeah, I think. We, yeah. uh, we, uh, we don't like to accept that that's a reality of life. So, yeah. yeah. And I think that's a bit what our parents would say to us, maybe this generation, I I don't know if it's one that every generation, one of those ones where every generation kind of thinks, but certainly I think our parents would say to us, you know, know, get back up on the bike or pick yourself up Mm -hmm. again and of course you missed out on that or that didn't happen and unlucky and give you a bit of a pat on the back or a bit of a hug or something like that and say, you know, what's the next thing to have a go at and so on, you know, so, so again, we get where it comes from and it mm. comes from a good place. It comes from a place of care and a place of love and those sorts of things. But it can't be the place that we provide for our young people. Absolutely. What next? I go to the third yeah. one. <laughs> so uh, the third one is that POSED is not a one-size-fits-all approach. It's not a quick fix and it's not a standalone equi- um, curriculum. So it's, it's not this idea that here's a package that's been beautifully bundled up and called POSED, now go and pop it in your school and tomorrow everyone will be flourishing. Uh, so again, I think sometimes, and maybe society, continue to look for quick fixes. And again, why wouldn't you? If there was an option for a quick fix rather than a slow fix, we'd all go with the quick fix. Um, but I don't think that's what we're thinking POSED is for or it's about. But again, you want a quick fix because if you're worried about the well-being of some of your people or worried about the culture in your school, you are, I want that to be better. I want to improve that. Let's do it tomorrow. Let's all get everyone involved. Let's. Um, so I get again where it comes from. But it's it's meant to be deeper than that. It's Because mm. it's not about being happy all the time. It's about deeply thinking as a community, collectively, collaboratively about how do we go on this journey of providing a flourishing environment, a flourishing context. So it's not what works at Geelong Grammar School will work at every single school. I kind of in some ways kind of think about it a bit like when you talk about baking a cake. So yes, there will be some similar ingredients. There will be some flour and there will be some salt and a little bit of sugar 
I still never quite understand why you put salt and sugar in these sort of things and I don't do much <laughs> cooking, so hopefully I'm on the right track or something. But there'll also be some cocoa or something or other. Uh, and so these ingredients kind of make a typical sort of cake. But different cakes, and people like different cakes, and different cakes are more attractive than the one cake every day of your life and all these sorts of things. But you might have to put a bit more of the flour, which might be your resilience, in for your context. Or you might need a little bit more emphasis on relationships at the moment. Or the kind of concept around engagement. Because for your context, the students don't have high levels of hope and aspiration. And so you really want to talk about hope theory as a way of helping the well-being of the young people in your school. So activities and components or kind of topics or concepts will be somewhat similar. The actual rollout of them, the evolving of them, uh, will be unique to the school because the students, the staff, the parents are unique to that school and they've already got a past and they've got a culture and they've got a similar hope for the future of a flourishing community and they will know and be able to use and consider and think of the ways for their school to go on their unique kind of journey. And I think it sounds like a real emphasis on a process of discernment and that's what you mentioned earlier was the beginning of the Geelong Grammar School journey and I know as you support schools on their own journey it can be so easy for them to get excited and and rightly so and they want to bring in the Geelong Grammar School model of positive education but I know it's a really strong emphasis for the Institute that that process of discernment and developing a whole school approach that is mindful of context is so important to the success. Mm. And just recently our school's done its new philosophy statement Mm. led by our principal Rebecca Cody and our school's focus is enabling wisdom. And I think such a beautiful word, the word that you kind of brought up about being wise. Mm. Um, It feels in many ways wisdom is almost a more noble hope mm. than flourishing or you know it depends how you interpret it or certainly than happiness mm. um, we're seeking wisdom for our young people wisdom for our teachers to be able to put things into perspective to be able to distance themselves and to consider and reflect over the way that it's working in their school and their context and and how any of their lessons any of their initiatives um in their school so we want our schools to be wise places of learning and we want our young people to grow up wise Mm. and so how do we enable wisdom through our schools and I think positive education is an element that can help contribute to enabling self-knowledge self-awareness and wisdom. It actually reminds me of one of our lovely year 12 students whose name I won't mention but who was on a panel recently and said that before he came to Geelong Grammar and learned about pos ed, he, he knew he had to have a positive relationship with others, but it wasn't until he um, explored himself, I suppose, and his own self-knowledge further through positive education that he realised he also needed to have a positive relationship with himself. And yeah. that was quite profound, I think. Yes. And yeah, it just what you were talking about reminded me of that. Yeah. So some of those little moments when a student or a staff member and just goes, oh, there's an insight for me. Mm. Um, 
and of course we need to be a little bit careful of having too many insights about mm. ourselves or the idea of <laughs> over analyzing yeah. everything uh, yeah. but gosh when you get a little insight mm. and go mm, I, I wouldn't mind maybe considering this now and I think that idea of self-compassion one of your real passions Rhiannon mm. um, linked to compassion but then self-compassion forgiveness forgiving oneself kindness self-kindness these aspects are absolutely vital um, to positive education mm. So I think we're on to the last statement the last about yeah. what POSED is not. And so the last one, in, in some ways it's related to the third one and it's as much for mm. schools that POSED is not just another program for schools to introduce. So whilst, yes, there is a growing and evolving curriculum and we're really excited just at this current present time of being able to you know, share our curriculum, PEAK, the Positive Education Enhanced Curriculum, uh, with others, uh, having evolved over the 10 years, having piloted, having had Amy and Tara, our two dedicated curriculum writers, really develop a robust scope and sequence. So yes, it can be a program or it can be a curriculum, but remember the Learn, Live, Teach in Bed. That's only one of the four processes. Mm -hmm. So it's certainly not just another program, just another thing to do. And I completely get teachers and kind of, you know, schools kind of saying, we can't just keep adding. And like logically, that makes no sense as a model of growth. Just keep adding things. Let's just do that as well. And that sounds pretty cool. And have you heard about this? So let's do that as well. Like just at some stage, we're going to be at capacity. And I think maybe some of our listeners would say that actually happened a few years back, that we're at capacity. Um, and we all get that idea that society is fast-paced, the evolution of the amount of materials that's produced and the amount of learning that we're understanding. You, you, you can't keep on top of it. You can't do everything. You can't keep adding. And I think um, it's still a question that I think in general schools don't ask themselves enough and ask in a collaborative way and have a committee dedicated to it or have a, a, um, a meeting or an, a, a, um, some time to it, is the question about what can we stop doing? What can go? Because, of course, we should be adding things because there will be new things to learn and develop and add and opportunities. So you know, I don't think any school should be a fixed environment. So, yes, we want to add things. Um, and, yes, we want to change priorities um, and evolve but therefore we need to think about what maybe uh, goes and I think given the importance of evidence to today's society how can we help gain some evidence about maybe what's the correct thing to go that maybe isn't as effective now uh, that is taking up a lot of time uh, you know the importance of homework or the length of homework or the type of homework and the amount of marking for teachers to do regarding homework, the importance of communicating with parents from parent-teacher interviews to reports to how long is a report should it be written for the parent to gain the most impact from the message that the teacher's wanting to give. And they're just kind of two examples, but I imagine there are hundreds of examples for schools to consider what can we do less of or what can we stop doing to partly ensure we have time and space to really prioritise well-being in a school environment. Mm. And I think further to that, 
it's about what what good are we doing already and and how can we harness what's already happening in a school and and integrate with that and um and again i think that that learn live teach in bed model really um you know provides an overlay i suppose for schools um to draw on the good that's already there and um to introduce you know other initiatives that that can complement that I think it's, it's, I'm so glad you brought up that idea about what schools are already doing. Mm. Like I think it's insulting, mm. you know, in our work with you know hundreds of schools to, to turn up to a school and say, well, now we're here <laughs> uh, and we'll tell you about positive education and by the way you must have been doing negative education yeah. and what you've been doing is wrong and this is what we're doing is right. Like that's uh, incorrect, insulting and arrogant. Mm. Um, and so in many ways we don't refer to ourselves as experts. We refer to ourselves as passionate and now with growing experience and experience from our own school firsthand and experience from now schools around Australia and around the world, which gives us really interesting insights and can help hopefully help uh, the field to evolve. Uh, but the starting point is so much of this complements the best of what you're already doing in your school the best of uh, what we do as individual teachers, the best of your school context. Uh, and to, you know, for many, positive education validates many aspects of their school environment and many aspects of their approach to teaching. And that's exciting. Mm-hmm. And for some, it rejuvenates teachers, it re-energises them, and they go, this is why I became a teacher and I've forgotten a little bit of this because I've been overwhelmed or burdened by some of the demands, the requirements, the, the, the necessary kind of uh, procedures and documents that we need to follow. And I lost a little bit of the focus about the well-being of young people because I love kids. That's why I'm a mm-hmm. teacher. Uh, and if, if we can re-inspire, re-energise teachers anywhere, that's a pretty exciting role too. Well, on that note, Justin, I... I want to say thank you uh, for your time um, for this episode, but also for the contribution you have made, and it is a significant contribution to the evolution of POSED at Geelong Grammar School, obviously, but then beyond Geelong Grammar School in the last few years. Um, And I think you have contributed an enormous amount, um, and you do so with humility, with a genuine desire to serve um, others and to support the wellbeing of others on on a worldwide scale now, I think. So I felt very much when I came to Geelong Grammar School that I was uh, moving into a role that required that I stood on the shoulders of giants and and the amazing work that you've done. So thank you for what you've contributed. Um, And as we conclude, I really just wanted to ask you very quickly, you know, we've been thinking about the last 10 years of positive education and, and what you've shared with us today really does encapsulate um, some collective wisdom, I suppose, from the field about how we define POSED and how we make sure that we're really um, rigorous and accurate in doing so. But as you look uh, forward to the next 10 years of positive education, what's one priority for you um, in your work with the Institute? Yeah, Yeah, thanks, Rhiannon. Um, a, a difficult question because, wow, you go, how many dreams and hopes do we have? Um, I think the first one that comes to mind is still, in a nutshell, kind of doing posed with the students mm. more. Um, I think kind of we, whilst again well-intentioned, did posed to the students in the early years. So student agency, 
but even more than that, students as partners. Mm. Like, it's their well-being. Like, you know, kind of, oh, duh. <laughs> it's their well-being that we're caring for, so maybe we better make sure we ask them a lot um, about what that looks like, what it feels like, what's helpful for them. Some of our students are certainly saying they'll it would really enjoy and benefit from hearing about well-being from some of the older students. So what's the, the cross-age mentoring, teaching, exploring well-being look like? Past students coming back to the school, but Year 11 and 12 students with our younger Year 7 students or Year 7s with our primary school students. Um, so, so I think in a nutshell I'd go with, gosh, it'd be exciting to have student conferences, students leading research, students sharing about what's so important for them um, and really helping them uh, take ownership of their well-being uh, and of their friends' well-being. And so, on. Mm. so that'd be a piece, I think. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much, Justin. Thank you, Rhiannon. Really enjoyed being a part of it. Glad it's also finished. <laughs> uh, and uh, look forward to hearing future episodes. And uh, thanks, Rhiannon. Cheers. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please feel free to refer to the fact sheet, which is available on our website at www.instituteofpositiveeducation.com.